0: Welcome to y'all. Let me uh, connect this here. I have a bit of a problem when I study, and that is, I never finish. <laughs> I, it seems like I just keep going on and on and digging into stuff and following trails, and, and then I, then it's time to, you know, start, and so we need to get, get it going. But uh, I was inspired by my studies today. Um, how many of you remember who was the painter, the painter of the painting that we talked about last evening? Somebody say his name. Da Vinci. Leonardo Da Vinci. Yeah. And I uh, need to actually pull up. Here we go. And he was the one who painted the scene of The Last Supper. And do you remember at what time period uh, this happened, or he painted this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so yeah, he was. the painting was representing, but what year did he actually do the painting? 1498. 1495 to 98. Yeah, and if you were, if you were here last night, we talked about how that within 60 years after... During the painting, the thing started to deteriorate and then all kinds of things got splashed on top of it and they tried to restore it and messed it up worse and worse. And how long did it take then to actually restore the painting uh, when they started? I think 20, 20 years just to restore the painting. And I was comparing that to maybe maybe that's a bit how it is when we study the Bible we're so far removed from the original scene that we have to do a lot of work to really get to the the real painting, to what was actually there before. So tonight, um, I want to look further at this painting, but then deep, dig deeper into the story. I'm not sure what's happening here, but uh, dig deeper into the story of the Passover. Um, and, and And I want to identify I want to work together identifying some of the things here in this painting that are off from the context so open your Bibles grab your Bibles um, and I would like the people on this side to open to Luke 22 people on this side to open to Matthew 26 Luke 227 to23 and Matthew 2617 to 29. And what I want to highlight again is how that, when we are removed from the scene or that so far from the, the the original events, we tend to miss a lot of what's going on. Um, so Leonardo da Vinci was around 1400, 1500 years removed. We are 2,000 years removed from the story, and sometimes we misconstrue the story in significant ways. Sometimes in insignificant ways. And then it takes the next generation 20 years to undo <laughs> the messes we make with the painting. You know what I mean? So Matthew 22, I'm going to give you like one to one minute or so just to read over that. 22, Matthew 22, I'm sorry, Luke 22, 7 to 23. And Matthew 26, 17 to 29. Now what I want you to look for as you read is, do you see anything in the text that doesn't line up with the picture, with the painting? Read the text, does it line up? Does, what's, what is, what's the incongruence between the, the text and the painting? Take a look at the picture, read the text, go back and forth, see if you can find anything that uh, is out of place or doesn't line up. Right? Did you recognize anything in the story that doesn't fit with the the painting? You didn't see the picture. No, I didn't see a picture. A what? A picture. a picture. Okay, you didn't see a picture. Okay, so there's no picture on the table that's missing. hmm It appears to be on the first floor. Okay. Uh-huh. You guys are observant. Okay, what 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 uh what uh translation were you reading? What does the ESV say about them sitting at the table? Okay, it says he reclined at the table. Now, if you read it in the King James, what does it say? He sat down at the table, right? Okay? But, but do they sit at the table like that? Or am I a- okay, you, you're, you're, you're on to, to something, yeah. So, in, so Leonardo da Vinci was living in wherever he was living, um, in Italy, I guess it was. And they had a very different style of seating than in the biblical times. In biblical times, in fact, if you go to the Middle East today, if you really get the real traditional experience, you will probably sit on the floor. Or you might sit on some real low seats to eat. I remember we were, my wife and I were in Indiana once, we stopped at a Walmart and met this Saudi couple. And they, we started talking to them and, and, and I started talking to them in Arabic and, and they were like, come to our house, come, come, come. And in the Middle East, you know, that you get all these invitations, they want you to come, but they might not actually want you to come. And so you kind of have to say no, 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 no for a bit. And then if they keep insisting, then you go. And so they kept insisting, and so we went and went to their house, and they were the wife cooked a meal, and we sat on the floor, and we and we didn't recline, but we sat on the floor, in a circle, and ate on the floor, very very Middle Eastern, but this is this is very Western the way that he painted the picture. Good. What else? That was that was a good observation. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good observation. Uh huh. I'm not sure. Um, are there only eleven? Well, there's one over here on the side. I think that's kind of cut off. Maybe. Is that him? Maybe. I think it, I think Judas would have been sitting next to Jesus, right? Uh, or reclining next to Jesus. I'm not exactly sure, but... He was leaning, you say he was leaning on his breast. And so, uh, John was leaning on his breast. Okay, so, so that, that also gives the, the idea of kind of reclining and sitting. What do you say? Yeah. Are there any other things you notice here that, from the text especially, what's the first verse in Matthew say? Verse 17 The bread. Yeah, so the cups, maybe there's, I think there's, I think the cups are maybe the, the, they look more like a plate, they're kind of a flat cup, Um, but the bread is there, but what kind of bread is it? It's pretty puffy, right? (laughs) So did the, what's it say there in verse 17? It says, now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? Do you ever eat unleavened Bread. Flat, it's very flat, right? I remember, I think it was some of you, we used, we we switched to unleavened bread for uh, for communion, and it's a very different kind of bread. It's really flat, and uh, you know, our bread with leaven is puffy and and that all has meaning um, in in the in the story of the Passover. Why was leavened bread versus unleavened bread an issue anyway in the Passover? Yeah, kind of the rise. Yeah. So there's a story that goes all the way back to Egypt, right? When they were supposed to leave in haste and they didn't have time to, to let the bread rise. And so they left with unleavened bread. And then there's clear instructions um, that during the Passover, they should, they should eat only unleavened bread. In fact, there are stories that say that they are to go through the house before before this feast, before the Passover, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Breads kind of tie in together. And so they're supposed to go through the house, search the house, making sure there's, nothing, there's no leaven in the house. What else does leaven represent in the scripture? Sin, yeah. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's another, thing, another theme that ties in here. Leaven was also connected to the idea of sin. Um, and how that we are to keep that out of our lives. And so the Passover was a time to remember that. Uh, another thing that I notice uh, is the windows. Do, do you see anything in the windows that don't really align with the story? Yeah, exactly. It says when the even was come, right? They were, it was in the evening when they were gathering. I mean, I guess... In the evening right now, it is pretty, pretty bright outside. I don't know how it would be there. But it doesn't feel very evening-ish here. Um, and somebody already mentioned them reclining at the table. So I think, I think it's, interesting, it's, it's interesting to notice how that we tend to read the Bible and picture the scenes in our own culture in our own way of understanding, and we, we, we draw the pictures around that rather than digging deep and trying to understand what was the original context, what was really happening in that time. So, I think, I, I would like to say this, I think it gives us cause to stop and think about how we're painting the picture, um, how we're presenting the story of Jesus. Is it really the way that it was given? Or have we collected all this other stuff along the way? And and that's the story we're presenting. All right, so I'd like to think more now about the story of the Passover. So the scene here is the Passover. What was the Passover? What was it about? What were they, why was it so significant? What was the Passover? It was to remember? Think about the slavery and what they were under. What they were experiencing in Egypt. And it went on for a long time. Remember last night we talked about uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. We like that verse. It makes us feel good. But... Jeremiah was saying, you're going to be there for 70 years. Sometimes the timetable is long. And so they're suffering in Egypt year after year after year. And Moses, you see one day, he gets the idea that he can set this, set this right. And so he kills an Egyptian who was taking advantage of one of his brothers. And, uh, and the next day, somebody mentioned it. And he runs off into the wilderness. And how long is he there? 40 years. He stays there for 40 years. What's happening with them all these 40 years? I mean, that's, I'm 45. That's about as long as I've been alive. What, was, what happened with the, the Jewish people in Egypt in those 40 years? Same thing, right? They were going through the same struggles, the same challenges. They were under slavery. And so there was this longing for deliverance. And the Passover is a remembrance of what they had been brought out of. Remembering the bondage and the freedom that they had found. Um, it's amazing, it's a, it's a neat story. What else was tied in with Passover? Can you think of anything else? Deliverance is huge. The death angel? mm-hmm, Passed over them. And why? The blood of the lamb. Some fascinating things that, that are tied in with that story uh, in, in Egyptian history and in culture and, and how that uh, the what was all <laughs> um, what was tied into that story. Why did God tell them to sacrifice lambs? What was connected to that? Remember the somebody going to say something? Uh-huh. So it was definitely connected with a picture of Jesus and what was coming, and it also ties back into the sacrificial system. But there's something interesting about the context where they were asked to do this. Uh, turn to... Uh, where's that? Exodus. Ex- um Let's uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter. Let's see here. Like I said, I study and then I don't always have my notes quite organized. Exodus chapter eight. There's some there's an interesting dialogue here between Moses and Pharaoh. Exodus chapter eight, verse twenty five and twenty six. So we know the story of the plagues where God brought one plague after another. And here is a little dialogue with, uh, between Pharaoh and Moses. In verse 25 of chapter 8 it says, And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet to do so. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? What's that? What is is going on in that conversation? Why was Moses afraid of being stoned if they sacrifice in the land? So they must, he must have been saying sacrifice in Egypt. Just do it at home. Moses says, no, we can't do that. We're going to get stoned. Why would Moses be afraid that his people are going to get stoned if they sacrifice? Okay. There you go. So those animals were sacred to the Egyptians. This was one of their deities. And so for the people of Israel to all take a lamb into their home and sacrifice it and kill it was was like, I mean, that was a statement saying that that your gods are nothing. (laughs) It was a repudiation of the Egyptian system. It was saying... This, it, was, it was a commitment to the God of Israel, to their God, saying, He is the, the true God. Um, and then you have the blood on the sides of the door, and the, or the, the doorposts and the top, and they're passing through that as they leave Egypt. There's a lot going on here in this story um, that we might miss sometimes. But the Passover was a time to remember all these things that God had done for them. It was a time to retell the story of their deliverance from Egypt. It was the beginning of the Jewish calendar. It was the, the start of the nation. It was like the, so we talk about being born again, right? So what, when something is born, um, it's usually a fairly bloody affair, right? Um, and and, and there, a, a child will, or a, an animal will pass through the birth canal and, and it's a messy situation. Well, such was the case with the Egyptians. It was messy and it was bloody, right? Uh, But there was a sense where this was the birth, this was the rebirth of this nation into a new life, into commitment uh, to Yahweh, to the one true God. Um, And the Passover was the festival to remember these things. During the Passover, Jews came from all over to celebrate this. It was a time to retell. It was the beginning of the Jewish calendar, like I said. It was a festive occasion. Uh, At this occasion, two million Jews gathered to celebrate the Passover. Now, can you imagine two million? If you've been to Jerusalem, it's not very big. It was a little bigger back in in that day. Um, But I'm thinking there may have been 100,000 people living in the city at that time. Um, But Josephus says there was two million Jews that would come together uh, during the time of the Passover. Every Jewish male was to come to the festival. And this was a time when, <clears throat> when they were expecting something. So they were remembering what God had done in the past, but they were also expecting something. So there was expectation uh, of what God was going to do again, what God was going to do for them. So at this time, uh, remember that the, <coughs> the, the people of Israel were under... The domination of Rome and and they were not the nicest uh, people to live under, um, and so they were again wishing for some kind of deliverance they were hoping for uh, for freedom to come out from under this bondage, like they came out from un, from under it in Egypt, and so the The time of Passover was also a time of expectation. It was a time of remembering and a time of expectation. One of the things that is interesting, if you study into this a little more, they were, the the Jewish people were expecting the coming of Elijah. And several writers uh, give some interesting insight into this. One says that on Passover night, they will send a child to the door uh, to open the door to check if Elijah has arrived. Because who's Elijah? What was his job in uh, prophecy or whatever? What was he going to do? He was going to prepare the way for the Lord, right? I mean, that, I'm not talking about Elijah in the Old Testament, but there was the prophecy of Elijah who was coming, and then John the Baptist was the one who fulfilled that, remember? Um, Jesus talked about that. So so Elijah is the one coming to prepare the way for the Lord. And so at Passover, they're expecting something to happen. They're expecting the arrival of Elijah. And so they actually send a child to the door to open the door. I think they might still do this to this day. They're expecting the forerunner, the preparation for this deliverance to come. Another writer indicates that they... We'll actually set an extra table, an extra place at the table for Elijah in case he shows up uh, over the Passover. So you can see there's, some, there's this expectation. So it's remembering and it's expecting. And it's, it's expecting this, uh, fr- this renewal, this freedom, again, that they, that they so badly wanted. Um, they even had a saying that in, that in that night, something like this, in that night we were redeemed and in that night we will be redeemed. Another interesting piece to the story is the Hebrew word for feast. So if you look in Leviticus 23, verse 4, uh, it says, these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which he shall proclaim in their seasons. Now, when we think of feasts, we think of food, we think of, you know. But let's think a little more about what this word entails. So what... Just think about a feast. What happens at a feast? What's involved? Food? Food? Celebration. Celebration? People? Fellowship? Right. Fellowship? Yep. So it's, it's a time for people to come together. The word um, for feasts is moed. And the, the word has several meanings, um, and the meanings are related to time, like an appointment. So in one translation, it says, these are the appointed times of the Lord. So if you have, uh, if you have an appointment with someone, or you want to meet with someone, right? You uh, make an appointment, and they put it in their iPhone, and you put it in yours, and you get together and meet at wherever, right? You, you have an appointment. Well, th- that's kind of the idea of this word. There's an appointment. God has appointments with his people. He set, sets it in the calendar. This is when we get together. This is when, when I, I visit you, I meet you. We meet together. So there's the idea of time and appointment. And there's also the idea of a place, of a gathering together at a specific place. The tabernacle was called the tent of Moed, or it was the, the tent of, of appointment where God met his people. Um, and then it's also, it also kind of encompasses that idea of an assembly of people coming together. So it's the time, it's the place, and it's the gathering. And so God makes appointments to meet with his people, and the Passover was one of the most important. It was the time when they remembered and when they expected. It was the time for God to meet them. It was the time for, for uh, the appointment to meet with God. And it was at this time that they expected... Interesting, great deliverance. Um, Now, think about what was happening in the time of Jesus. They were coming together at the Passover to remember. They were expecting something. And then they heard the rumors. (laughs) They heard about this Jesus, right? And they heard about how that he could uh, heal the sick, he could feed 5,000 people with just a couple of uh, loaves and a few fishes, and he could even raise the dead, right? Turn to, Luke, uh, turn to John chapter 12. This is interesting in relation to the Passover. So you remember, you have all these people now coming together, expecting, hoping for some sort of deliverance. And in John, we... Uh, John 12, in verse 12, actually I think it's a little before that, we see Jesus in the house of Mary and Martha, and he's, he's reclining again with Lazarus, and then he gets anointed, which I want to talk about that a bit later. But it, t- it talks about here somewhere, much people, verse 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but, they might, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So the news had gotten around that Jesus can raise the dead and they're expecting and they're remembering God can deliver us from Egypt. He can also deliver us from the Romans, right? There's this remembering and expecting, and then to hear about this Jesus and all the things that he's doing. There's something also interesting here in this chapter, in chapter 12, in verse 20. And it says, and this is neat, I like this. It says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast what brought the Greeks to worship at the feast? So now it's not just the Jews coming to the Passover. The Greeks are coming as well. They're coming to, to worship and they say, Jesus, we want to see Jesus. And so um, even the Greeks were hearing about this and they wanted to see Jesus. So there's this, this hope. There's this, um, there's this hope of something to happen, that something that will happen. And there's this Time of remembrance, and there's this time of appointment. It's the appointment. Uh, it's the appointed time to meet God. I wanted to say this as well. I, I thought it was very interesting as I studied this that when it talks about the Sabbath, God tells his people, You, you need to, to practice the Sabbath to remember that you were brought out of Egypt. So it wasn't just once a year that they were supposed to do this, but every week they were to gather to remember. God who delivered them from Egypt. I think there's something there for us, you know. Like, do we have time to remember? Do we take time to remember? Do we have ways to help us remember what God has done in our lives, what God has done to our fathers, what God has done to our forefathers? As we remember those things, I think there's something valuable that happens in our lives. Okay, so I mentioned earlier about the uh, sacrificing of the sheep and how that was a repudiation of of all Egyptian gods. And there's one writer, Rabbi David Furman, he says this. They were asked to take a sheep or a goat, deities the Egyptians worshipped, and to tie the animal up beside their bed for three days in full view of their Egyptian neighbors. Then in defiance of the Pharaoh that subjugated them, they were asked to slaughter this Egyptian god and to paint their doorsteps, doorposts with the animal's blood. In essence, they were saying, we reject the gods of Egypt and we pledge ourselves to the God of gods, the true God, Yahweh. Now, uh, now I'd like to talk about Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, so this happened just a few days before the Passover. Jesus actually entered Jerusalem on the day that they were told to choose a lamb. So God had said several days before the Passover, you choose the lamb and you bring it into your household and that lamb is to stay with your family for however many days it was. I think I had it here actually. Um, In the 10th month... In the 10th day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. And so there was a specific day they were supposed to take the lamb. And it was on that very day, as all these people were coming into Jerusalem, that Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, imagine the people that were expecting. They were remembering, right? They were coming to remember. They were expecting. They were hoping this was the appointment. They'd heard about Jesus, and here he comes, on a donkey, into Jerusalem. And if you remember, they were quite excited. But why were they so excited? We talked about some, some of the reasons uh, that they may have been excited. Um, and I, I want to try to tie a couple of ideas together here quickly in the last few minutes. But uh, I want to ask the question, What is when we say Jesus Christ, what does that actually mean? What does the word Christ mean? The anointed one. The anointed one. Okay, so, good. Um, what were, if you think about in the Old Testament, when they anointed people, what, what was the reasons? Who got? Who were the people who were anointed? Kings, right? Mm-hmm. Who else? Priests, Priests? mm-hmm. And prophets. So kings, priests, and prophets. They were the ones who were anointed. And so um, we have this idea in Jewish literature going back to hundreds of years before Jesus. They were preparing and and thinking about a Messiah and longing for one, hoping for deliverance. Some believed he would be a military leader, others thought he would be a sage or a teacher, or some priest or high priest, and others thought he would be a prophet like Moses, and we would probably say he was all of the above. Um, and there was actually a group called the Essenes, and they lived in the desert, uh, in, in, uh, out away from people, and they they thought that, that there was probably going to be three different messiahs, because they couldn't figure out how a messiah could come on a donkey and on the clouds, right? And so they, they couldn't put all that together, and so that's that was how they put that all together. But The idea of Messiah meaning anointed one. Um, Anointing was for kings, priests, and prophets. And I want to go to the scene again in John chapter 12. And we see Jesus here in the house of Mary and Martha. And then we see Mary taking a pound of ointment in verse 3 of Spikenard, very costly. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now, how much is 300 pence? About a year's wages. wages. Now, think about how much money you make in a year, (laughs) and then think about who is the kind of person that could afford that kind of ointment. Uh, probably not you or me. I mean, I wouldn't think about buying that kind of ointment. But who would? Uh, maybe the richest and the most powerful could afford that kind of ointment. the the This this ointment was only fit for a king. It was only fit for a priest or for a prophet. It had to be, you know, a king. Probably was the only one that could truly afford this kind of ointment. And so I want I want you to think about that in the in the context. So there's this. There's, 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 this, um, this, this, there's the smell of a king, there's the aroma of a king. And so we have Jesus about a day or two after this happened, after he was anointed, and I doubt he showered every day like we do today. Um, he's walking into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the smell is still there. The smell, the aroma of a king is on him. Uh, and, and as people visited the house of Mary and Martha, they smelled that, that, that aroma. And, and they recognized that this is only fit for a king. And so we have Jesus walking, coming into Jerusalem on the day that they were to select a lamb. And he smells like a king. He has that aroma. And do you remember what they say to him? What do they say when Jesus comes in through the city Hosanna. Hosanna. Now, Hosanna means... It's, it's a compilation of two words in Hebrew. It's, it's yashana. And it comes right out of Psalm 118.25 where it says, Save now, I beseech thee. So it's this begging cry. Save now. Save us. Save us. Save us from what? What were they wanting saving from? The Romans. They were wanting... They wanted a savior. They wanted a deliverer. And they they were looking to Jesus. They thought, Jesus, you're the one. Save us now. Save us from these Romans. It all makes sense. It's it's the time to remember how they had been delivered from Egypt. Uh, It's the time to expect deliverance. And here comes Jesus riding into Jerusalem And they say, save us now. Now's the time. Let's do this. You've got the power. You can raise the dead. You can do this. You can even still the storm, right? Jesus was the one. I guess that's where we need to stop. Jesus, just a few days after this, was crucified. And there's different ways of trying to understand this, but... I really think Jesus was probably crucified right at the time they were killing the Passover lamb. And I think that is such a neat picture. We have Jesus coming in to the city, riding on a donkey, the smell of a king. Save us now. And just a few days later, he's crucified uh, right at the time that the Passover lamb was being slain. And then just a few days later from that, he rises again. On the right around, or I think on the day of the, the feast of first fruits. And so there's actually this thing where the day before the feast of first fruits, they would go to the synagogue, and the reading for that day was from that the, the is it Ezekiel where it talks about the valley of dry bones, and God's going to speak to the dry bones and they're going to live again. So there's this resurrection. So they're reading about this in the synagogue, and then That day and the next day, they start to hear about Jesus rising from the dead. All of this stuff is tying in, you know, with... And it starts to make sense why so many of them started to believe. Like, all of this stuff started to fit together for a lot of them. Um, And Jesus truly did come to save now, but not from the Romans. He came to bring them to new life, into a new kingdom, into a new way, uh, into a new creation. So with that, we're going to pray. Father, thank you for the exciting story of your redemption, of your, of, of you being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And thank you for the pictures that we can, we can get as we look back into the history of your people. And we pray that you would make it alive to us, that we would be Um, entering into that life from day to day. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.